Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast, equipping leaders to live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. Hello, my name is Paul Coulter and I'm Head of Ministry Operations with Living Leadership. And over the next few episodes, I'm going to be speaking to you on the theme, Love Your Leaders. Now, in my work with Living Leadership, I interface with many Christian leaders, and most of them are ministers in churches of various sizes, in diverse contexts, within a range of networks and denominations. They've got different personalities, different family circumstances, and different theological emphases. A smaller number of the leaders that I work with are leaders in mission agencies, or they're leading in other contexts outside the UK and Ireland. But they tend to be no less diverse in my experience than church ministers. And it might surprise some listeners to hear that these leaders, for all of their differences, tend to face quite similar challenges. Some of the challenges for leaders come from within, They're people first, and they have all the same internal struggles that other Christians have. They're prone to pride and self-condemnation, insensitivity and hypersensitivity, temptation and depression, discouragement and laziness, overwork and disorganisation. And in living leadership, we walk alongside leaders through all of those challenges and more. Other challenges for leaders come from outside. Christian leaders in this time are on the wrong side of history so far as the world is concerned. They're deemed to be an irrelevance at best and positively dangerous at worst. They need much encouragement to faithfully stand for biblical truth in a culture opposed to it. And this pressure is magnified greatly by the fact that some churches and leaders that continue to take the name Christian are departing from biblical truth. Now there's a a middle ground between these two sources of challenges, the outside and the inside. This we could call the outside within, and by that I mean the church. And it's the pressures that come from church that can often be the most severe for a leader. It's one thing to fight against the flesh, the world, and the devil, who is working through the flesh and the world to deceive and mislead us. It's another thing to be caught in conflict with those we should embrace as brothers and sisters, or to be bullied by people who should appreciate our service for their sakes. The place most Christians would think should provide them with encouragement and care, the church, is often the context in which Christian leaders are destroyed. And so we need to love our leaders. This is a vital aspect of helping them to serve God faithfully for a lifetime, which is what living leadership is dedicated to seeing. Those that they lead have a responsibility to enable them to lead with joy and not with groaning. As Hebrews 13 verse 17 says, that's essential for their sakes, but even if we don't care for the leaders at all, we should realise it's also vital for our sakes. As that verse concludes, If leaders lead with groaning, that would be of no advantage to you. Even the most selfish of Christians, and I know that should be an oxymoron, but even the most selfish of Christians should want to bring joy to their ministers. 
Now, in this series of podcasts, I want to consider three passages that speak about the response of Christians to their leaders. 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 to 25, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 to 13, and Hebrews 13, verse 17. From Paul's letter to Timothy, we'll learn how leaders should be appointed, supported, and, if necessary, removed. From his letter to the Thessalonians, we'll learn about the right attitude towards leaders. And from the book of Hebrews, we'll learn how that attitude works out in right actions towards our leaders. But before exploring those three aspects of the response of Christians to leaders, I'm first going to summarise what each of these passages says about the work of Christian leaders. That's the necessary counterpart to the attitude and actions believers should show towards them. Well, as I do this, I'm very conscious that most of the people we engage with in living leadership are leaders. So you might be listening to this and thinking, well, this is what my people need to hear. It's up to you if you want to be bold enough to share this podcast with them. Um, But I would certainly encourage you to think about that because our people need to be taught about how to love their leaders. It's hard sometimes for you as a local leader to do that. But I hope that we in Living Leadership can help to do that for you. Now, in the three passages I'm considering in this uh, podcast, Christian leaders are described in various ways. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12 doesn't use any technical term for them. It simply speaks about those who labour among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. In 1 Timothy 5 verse 17, there is a technical word. They're called elders, and their work is spoken of in terms of ruling, preaching, and teaching. Hebrews 13 uses the word leaders, referring to two generations, a previous generation, who the people are to remember, according to verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then there's a a second present generation in verse 17 who are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So as we seek to lay foundations for our understanding of leaders in our churches, we'll consider three questions, their identity, their relationships, and their task. Who are they? How do they lead? And what do they do? Firstly, who? The identity. 1 Timothy 5.17, as I've said, refers to elders, and that's a translation of the Greek word presbyteros, literally meaning an older man, or if you prefer, an older person. In the New Testament, that word is used interchangeably with overseer, episcopus, and shepherd or pastor, poimenus. And that's clearest in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 and 2, where the three words are used together of one group of people. Some scholars think they pastoral epistles, Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus, contain a sense of distinction between elders and overseers. Others reject that idea. Certainly, later on in the church, a distinction did emerge between overseers who were seen as regional bishops and elders or presbyters who were seen as leaders in each congregation. But whether that finds its roots in the New Testament or not, well, people see that differently. And the way that works out today is one of the key differences in church governance between our church traditions. 
But for the purposes of this podcast series, we're thinking of one category of leader that includes everyone who has a responsibility to give spiritual leadership in the church. Now, as in Old Testament Israel, elders in the church are people with life experience who are respected by the community and who give direction to it and help it to remain faithful to God. They have the responsibility to shepherd the church of God and to oversee it. Elders or overseers are to be recognized in churches and appointed. We see that in Acts 14, 23, 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 7, and Titus 1, verses 5 to 9. So the New Testament clearly indicates that it was possible to say who was an elder. It's not simply that every older person becomes an elder. This is a subset of people who are qualified for the task and recognize as fulfilling an office. Hebrews 13 doesn't use the word elder, overseer, or shepherd. It simply refers to leaders. Using a Greek word, hegeomai, that indicates a person who goes before others in the sense of leading the way. A reading in Hebrews 13, what those leaders did in the church, their task is clearly the same as that that's expected of elders or overseers in 1 Timothy and Titus. The same may be said of 1 Thessalonians 5, where the work of leaders is described without calling them either leaders or elders. Now, it's fair to say that the similarity of tasks and qualities in all three of these New Testament passages has one group of people in view. So I'll call them leaders in this podcast to avoid confusion over terms used in different churches, but I'm referring specifically to people recognized in the church as having responsibility for spiritual leadership. That's who these leaders are. But how are they to lead? What relationships do they have? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12 says that Christian leaders do their work among you and are over you. This pairing of positions is important. Christian leaders arise from among God's people, and it's among people that they serve. That's the pattern set by Jesus. In Luke 22, verse 27, he says he was among the disciples as one who serves. And it's also the pattern set by the Apostle Paul and his co-workers. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, and chapter 2, verse 7, Paul reminds the believers what they were like among them. This phrase, among you, speaks of a, a loving relationship, close proximity, and openness. And that's necessary because Christian leaders lead through example. You see that consistently in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 6. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 9, 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, Hebrews 13, verse 7, 1 Peter 5, verse 3. Christian leaders don't merely tell people what to do, they show them how to do it. They don't only speak about Jesus, their lives reflect Jesus to others. But at the same time as being among them, these leaders are over God's people. Now, the word here, proistomenus, is a form of the same word translated rule in 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. So I'll discuss it more fully when we come to think of the leader's task. 
But at this stage, it's enough to point out that whilst leaders are among the other believers in the church, they also have a responsibility to lead. That's a responsibility under God, to whom they'll give account, as Hebrews 13 verse 17 says. And this principle is foundational to Christian leadership. We are over God's people and under God. The church belongs to God. As the Apostle Paul reminded the elders from Ephesus, it was obtained with his own blood, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. As Christian leaders serve, they must always remember that they are subject to God and will give account to him. And this position under God and among and over God's people is the context in which Christian leaders do the things our verses say they must do. Relationship with God and with others is the context for the task of leadership. And what is that task? Well, the verses I'm considering in this podcast series contain the following verbs about what leaders do. Laboring, admonishing, ruling, preaching, teaching, speaking, and keeping watch. Now the word labor, which comes from 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12, is a general term for hard work, the kind that would make you weary. Christian leadership is hard work, and faithful Christian leaders are willing to work hard. This in itself is a reason why we should think about how we care for them, because it means they'll be prone to exhaustion and at risk of burnout. We want them to be able to work hard and sacrificially, but in a manner that is sustainable. The other verbs in our list describe three areas in which they must labour. So labour is, is the, the kind of way they do the work, working hard, but they work hard at three things. Firstly, teaching. That encompasses four verbs from the list, preaching, teaching, speaking and admonishing. All verbs about speech. Secondly, guiding. And thirdly, watching. Firstly, Christian leaders teach. And that takes many forms, reflected in the diversity of the other verbs in these verses. They preach, proclaiming the truth of the gospel with the aim of a response of repentance, faith and obedience in their listeners. They teach, explaining gospel truths with patience and applying them to the specific needs and questions of the people. They admonish, challenging God's people in those areas where their beliefs and behaviour are not consistent with the gospel. These speaking activities include what we might call preaching, speaking to the whole church, but they must also include pastoral conversations in which God's truth is applied to individuals and family units. The task of speaking is central to Christian leadership and indispensable within it. Secondly, Christian leaders guide. 1 Timothy 5 verse 17 speaks of elders who rule well, that's how the ESV puts it, or as the NIV puts it, who direct the affairs of the church well. Now words like rule and direct are open to major misunderstandings and they may not reflect the meaning of the original Greek well. Direct sounds task-focused or managerial, 
but the leadership of the New Testament is people-focused and, as we've seen, relational. Rule sounds to me like it's about making decisions over people. But the Apostle Paul is not advocating a dictatorial approach in which leaders make every decision and are high above the church and removed from its people. Remember, 1 Thessalonians tells us leaders must be among the people as well as over them. And the word translated rule in 1 Timothy 5 verse 17, proestotes, is the same one translated over in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12. That Greek word means literally to go before. So the idea is that these people lead the way. They set an example of what it means to do the things they teach. They are an example as well as teachers, and they practice what they preach. They're prepared to take responsibility to both lead the way and to bear the brunt of whatever opposition the church faces. It's important, though, to say that this word does not just indicate setting an example. It also indicates responsibility to set the direction. These leaders have the leading word in the church. They determine the direction it will go in. Through prayerful reflection, they see the way ahead in God's purpose and communicate this vision to the church so that the community can move forward together with them. In this sense, they direct the church, although the NIV's edition of the affairs of the church unhelpfully suggests a more managerial function. Elders are not managers. They're mature believers, concerned for the well-being of the church and its members, who show the way to go and set an example of how to go there. They shouldn't be tied up with most of the practical arrangements needed to move towards that vision. That's the role of other servants. So for avoidance of confusion, I've used the word guide to describe this aspect of their work rather than rule or direct. Now, importantly, these guiding leaders do not have the only word. Every believer may be a source of God's wisdom on important decisions and godly leaders will listen well. But they do have the leading word. They must take account of all the wisdom available to the community and decide what must be done in response. The reason these leaders should have the leading word is because of their qualities of character and their ability to teach. More on that in a future episode. The primary need in the church is for decisions to be made in light of the gospel, and elders must ensure this happens. In order to keep their focus on this priority, it's wise that these leaders recognize other spiritual people with administrative gifts who can take the lead in organizing practical arrangements. That was modeled by the apostles in Acts 6, as they appointed seven men to allow them to focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. It's also the basis for the category of leaders called deacons elsewhere in the New Testament. Now, it's important to delineate the degree of authority elders have to direct the church or to guide it. They can stand on the authority of Scripture when calling people to obedience to the teachings of Scripture, but they do not have authority to command obedience to their own vision. There is a, a secondary kind of authority that comes from the church community when those leaders remind members of the commitment they've made to one another or call for action together to maintain unity in the fellowship 
and the mission of the church. For example, they might call people to join together for prayer or ask for people to help with a ministry program. In these things, however, the elders must allow freedom of conscience for members and encourage them to decide under God how they should serve him. It should be at least as common for leaders to ask their members how the elders can support, resource and pray for the work God has given them to do as it is for the elders to call members to support, resource and pray for the work the leaders have decided needs to be done. So, leaders guide. But thirdly, leaders watch. Hebrews 13 verse 17 says they watch over the souls of God's people. The Greek word is agripnusin, literally meaning to be sleepless or alert. And the idea is closely related to the word episcopus, usually translated overseer, and meaning one who watches over others. This is a ministry of soul care. It means that leaders must know the people and notice their needs. They're like the watchmen in a tower in an ancient city, looking out for any threat. Or like the shepherd who is attentive to every noise in case a wolf threatens the sheep, or one becomes entangled in a thicket. As well as watching over each individual, these leaders watch over the church as a whole to ensure that they are guiding it in the right direction. They review the impact of their decisions and are constantly open to correction. They notice who is engaged and who is not, and they seek to understand why this is. They will not make assumptions about people's reasons for not attending meetings or serving in programs, but will patiently work with them. This idea comes through in the context of our verse from 1 Thessalonians 5. Verse 14, following on from the command to members and how they relate to their leaders, reads, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. The brothers in view here are almost certainly the ones said in verse 12 to be over the believer. And this verse reminds them, those leaders, that they must know which of the believers are idle, which are faint-hearted, and which are weak, so they can work appropriately with each. You want to admonish the idle, not encourage them. You want to encourage the faint-hearted, not admonish them. You want to give help to those who are weak. And of course, in all cases, they must be patient. Christian leaders are relational and in it for the long haul. So in conclusion, we've talked about equipping in three ways. Equipping is another word used in the New Testament to describe the work of Christian leaders. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12 speaks of pastors and teachers as equipping God's people for works of service. The leader's goal is to help believers to serve God in every aspect of the work he has prepared for them. That means in church, yes, but also in family, in work, and in society. And that equipping happens as leaders do the three things I've discussed before. To equip every believer, they must know the believers, and that only happens when they're watching. Based on what they see, they can then teach and guide the believers towards faithfulness and effectiveness in their service. 
This is the hard work of leadership, labouring among God's people to teach, guide and watch over their souls. Leaders who engage in it are deserving of our love and care. When leaders understand this to be their responsibility and do their best to fulfil it, which of course they'll never do perfectly, but when they're doing their best, we should have the right attitude to them and act in the right way toward them. First, however, we need to be sure we appoint the right people as leaders, and that's the subject of the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope what you've heard today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. If you're encouraged by today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or colleague or leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice to help others find us. If you'd like to engage further with us on anything we've discussed today, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on any major social media application at Living Leaders, or you can visit our website, www.livingleadership.org, where you'll find even more support and resources to help you live in Christ joyfully and serve him faithfully. Blessings. Blessings.